0: I'm Ed Fallon, your host here, and we are broadcasting. Uh, we're broadcasting live from uh, Des Moines, Iowa. This is Ed Fallon again, your host, and uh, we're so glad to be through with the polar vortex. That was a drag. Uh, before we go to our first conversation, I want to take a second to uh, thank some of our local sponsors here in the Des Moines metro. Uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland, that's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got a catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures large and small for over 30 years. Give Kim a shout at Story County Veterinary Clinic. Also thanks to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street, located between Locust and Grands in downtown Des Moines, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street, authentic Mexican food at great prices with very affordable uh, affordable prices and uh, very friendly service at Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. All right. So, hey, let's kick it off, folks. Here Later in the program, we're going to be talking about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But right now, we're going to be talking about Steve King. Um, I don't know where the guy is coming from anymore. And, uh, you know, we're used to the Democratic Party here in Iowa criticizing him. Actually, we're used to all the Republicans here criticizing him as well. But now... Now we've got the Louisiana, the, the chair of the Louisiana Democratic Party criticizing King. Why? Well, what did King say? Well, he basically uh, <laughs> insulted all of New Orleans by uh, calling them lazy and uh, and slothful in response to uh, their their you know what they had to do to survive the aftermath of Katrina, while praising his constituents for how they were responding to the flooding up here. And people are scratching their heads saying, why did he have to do that? <laughs> well. Because I think Stephen King is the most honest politician in all of America right now because there's no way he's so honest, there's no way he he can not tell us on a regular basis that he's a racist. That's my take on it. Joining me on the phone from New Orleans is uh, Dr. Mark Allen Derry. Uh, Mark Allen, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, good morning. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: So you've been enjoying our our congressman's latest latest rant?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know... It's unbelievable how, uh, I mean, mouth, here comes foot, and it seems to happen pretty regularly with him. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, I, I'm a big fan of yours and the work that you do. Thank you. And it, it, it irks me that you have to be represented by such a, a despicable, uh, a, basically a racist and a white supremacist. And that's certainly what, uh, he was, uh, called, uh, by, um, by some of our representatives here in, in New Orleans. Uh, Our mayor, who's typically a little bit, um, she speaks her mind, uh, uh, had a more tempered uh, statement. And if you don't mind, I'm happy to read some of the statements that uh, that we had here. The two that really kind of stand out, along with uh, those from uh, uh, Karen uh, Carpenter that you just mentioned. But here's the remarks made uh, by Mayor Cantrell uh she says the people of new orleans know who we are we know what we did for each other in the weeks after the storm and on every day after i don't know where representative king was when i was standing shoulder to shoulder with my neighbors fighting to bring our community back but i know who was there helping and we all know who wasn't my heart and new orleans love goes out to our fellow americans struggling with floods across the midwest We know what you're going through, and we know what you need and deserve a better quality person representing you in your time of need. New Orleans is here for you like we were for each other. We know King doesn't speak for you, and he doesn't speak the truth. And I also want to say that I um, want to be very clear that my wife is also the deputy chief of staff for Mayor Cantrell. So I just want to be open about that as well. Mayor Cantrell is the first— female mayor in the city of of New Orleans. So she spoke very uh, forcefully here about these these really just racist, I mean, there's only no other way to think about it, racist comments of of, of Representative King, and... and, and, uh, and, and she was very quite forceful in her statements. I think our congressperson, who's a fellow representative with, uh, with Representative King, Representative uh, Shedrick Richmond, was, uh, spoke a little bit more forcefully. His words were, my heart goes out to all Iowans though it unsettles me that Representative King would dare compare them to the countless victims of Katrina, many of whom have lost their lives. When people show you who they are, believe them. <laughs> Steve King, Steve King yeah. is a white supremacist, and I won't stand for it. Well, and you know, that is and that, and that is Representative Cedric Richmond, who sits in Congress with Representative King. And he's shown
0: us on a regular basis. Uh, in fact, why don't we go ahead and play a clip from what he actually said at the town hall meeting in Algonne. Iowa here we go here's what FEMA tells me we go to a place like New Orleans and everybody's looking around saying who's going to help me who's going to help me we go to a place like Iowa and we go we go see knock on the door at, at uh, say I'm to make up a name John's place and uh, say John if you got water in your basement we can write you a check we can help you and uh, John will say well wait a minute let me get my boots
1: as Joe that needs help let's go down to his place and help him
0: yeah, <laughs> so. you know what
1: it what it seems to me is, and and, and I mean, and just kind of cutting through all. Of just the, uh, all the rhetoric here. Let's just be very clear. The, New Orleans is a mostly uh, African American community, uh, and at some points it's hit about 70%. Uh, and it fluctuates, especially in the days after Katrina. It somewhat fluctuated, but we're saying we're between 60 to 70%. Those individuals that were affected by Katrina were mostly, uh, and specifically African American, right. especially when you look at the areas that actually flooded. So when the French first came to New Orleans, they built on higher ground, and as New Orleans expanded, they started expanding into areas that were lower, right. that were below sea level. These in the swamp areas, and so, of course, these are lands that, um, uh, as a result of historic structural racism, and with it structural poverty that goes along with it, these were areas that were more affordable for African American communities, mm, right. uh, and so these are folks that are are, are disproportionately. Affected by uh, 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 by uh, disasters, and, and, and Katrina itself wasn't a natural disaster, but that's a whole other conversation. And Ed, I follow you very regularly, and you you go to places and you understand wh- how this sense of structural racism and structural poverty uh, has on uh, communities that are disproportionately affected right. by disasters. And so when we saw televised in all of our living rooms i was in the process of moving to new orleans when katrina hit oh really i wow. actually okay. i was i had moved uh, i had come to new orleans to move to new orleans a couple weeks before katrina and then obviously left and i'm i'm a physician so i went and worked at the astrodome f- until rita and then came back to new orleans and then purchased my my home and i still live in the same place that i purchased uh uh right after katrina so I moved to New Orleans immediately after Katrina happened, and so I've been watching the the recovery uh, uh, happen. But when when we see the the individuals that were that were affected uh... uh... and what we see are 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 folks that are again are disproportionately uh, affected uh... through history of of redlining through histories of um, uh... of poverty and structural poverty and generational poverty and and when we saw those images uh... uh... In, in our in our living rooms or in our hotel rooms where i was staying uh... for a while or what have you it, it was really quite jarring, and and it, it 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 just can't be said with any other sense of specificity, except that he was referring to obviously black people, yeah, and, yeah. and 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 tapping into a trope that is so deeply hurtful and so deeply offensive that the idea that that in Iowa, which will is I, I would imagine is a more predominantly white. Uh, state, uh white people will you know, gather up and, and help one another and don't rely on the government. Whereas you would look at this very, very offensive and horrific trope of thinking that uh, uh, uh that when you look at individuals that were in New Orleans, these were individuals that were looking for quote unquote handouts from the government. And and it's just it again, it's so deeply Deeply yeah. offensive. Well, and you know,
0: we we shouldn't expect an apology from him. He just he doesn't really go there. I mean, he he was asked to apologize for all sorts of comments he's made. I mean, the the list is so long, it's 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 um, it's tiresome, uh, and, mm-hmm. and and it's not it's, it's not just African Americans that he disparages, but uh, Latinos, uh, Muslims, uh, gays, lesbians. I mean, it's just a long list of people, and and then of course on the flip side, he makes it pretty clear that there's nothing wrong with white supremacy. Or white no, civilization, I, whatever the heck that is,
1: yeah. right? I mean, when he made those comments, yeah, a month ago, six weeks ago, I can't, you know, that he ended up finally getting was sanctioned to a certain degree by having obviously his committee uh, assignments taken away from him, and the entire um, and the
0: entire but, house uh, voting to rebuke him, and he voted along with that for some bizarre reason. But anyway, <laughs>
1: um, the, the the thing that is really quite questionable. And, and and this is the thing that, well, first of all, my, my first thought to this is, is that to a large degree, he is who he is. And just like Representative Richmond said, when people tell you who they are, believe them, yep, And, and yep. that's something that we've been saying here in New Orleans quite a bit. When somebody displays to you who they are, don't, don't close your eyes. Call it for what it is. And so I'm happy to see that people are, are being more forcefully open by calling out Representative King. For who he is and what he is, which is a white supremacist and, now, and, and a racist. Now
0: I got to ask but you. This, oh, good. Yeah,
1: no, I was well, going to just pivot just for a second, but okay. you could finish. Well, finish just what you're.
0: Yeah, just just uh, just on, on the issue of white supremacists. Um, you know, years ago, before we were honored to have Steve King representing us in Congress, uh, you had a guy named David Duke who uh, received a lot yeah. of attention all over sure. the country. Whatever happened to him? Yeah, not I mean, not so, that we miss him, but just curious. So.
1: I, I I will say if 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 you don't mind me, just kind of uh the last interaction that we have had with with David Duke was actually a personal one, uh, and uh, and that was a he trolled uh, WHIV, which is the radio station that that I run that we carry your show on, right. uh, and we have a uh, a young lady named uh, Je- Jenny Yanez who is a traditional Muslim woman, and she has a show called Islam in the Crescent City. Hmm. She's very traditional, wears a hijab, and he uh, uh, tweeted out uh, some uh, somewhat offensive uh, comments about her, as in something to the effect of, "How can we have something like this?" and Look at the state of Louisiana. Look who they're putting on air. You know, just the sort of just the sort of just loathsome comments you would expect, like somebody from, from David Duke. Let's be very clear that David Duke also was part of the Charlottesville organization as well. Not surprised, yeah, but he didn't was, know w- Yeah. So it, when you see some of the documentaries about it, he pops up uh, there as well. So we don't see a whole lot from him. I mean, he pokes at WHIV. He poked at us once or twice Uh, And we we took that as a bit of a badge of of honor, to be honest, Uh, (laughs) uh, to to, to know that David Duke uh, was watching what was was happening. But another loathsome person, and and something that is infamous here in the state of Louisiana was when when I think it was uh, Ed Edwards was running, who had been convicted for a crime, and David Duke were running. They were both running for governor. And, uh, and I think the slogan was, uh, you know, the, the cronal versus the, the, uh, the hook or the crook. Vote for the cr- <laughs> it, was, it was vote for the crook. This time it's important. Uh, was the, and that was in the early 90s. Well, but, the, but it does speak to, and what I was going to do is when I said I was going to pivot the conversation, it does speak to the importance of how there has been this normalization of white supremacy in this country, which it, in, in my book, and again, the, the, the statements that are stated here are my opinions in my opinions only, but that we, we have a, a history of white supremacy in this country. The origins of this country right. are somewhat uh, white supremacist. And uh, and you see these comments said by, by Representative King, who says it very openly without any fear whatsoever. But then you have somebody like Representative Ilhan Omar, who made some, and I'm speaking as an American Jew as well, made comments that were apparently anti-Semitic. And I'm pretty sensitive to issues regarding anti-Semitism, and I didn't think any of her comments that were made uh, reflected anti-Semitism. I think they reflected a very honest and real and sobering look is the, the undue influence that uh um that lobbyists have in DC right. and, for for Israel. And interesting and Mark yet, Allen
0: that's our that's our next topic on the show today.
1: Uh, and to yeah. see that that tsunami of a response against her, which again I I'm an American Jew. I, I think I have somewhat of an opportunity to be able to pipe in a little bit and say no, nah, those comments aren't offensive to me whatsoever. They actually speak very and ring very clearly for me. And yet there was this, again, a response to her that I found to be so incredibly uh, unfair and, un, and, and uh, undeserving. And yet you have comments that come from Representative King. I mean, I think he started the week with the Civil War. Uh, a tweet, right with the Rock and Sockem robots, and yes, place Iowa in right. the wrong. <laughs> you know, in, well, the, in the in the in the. And I don't know what if Iowa is a blue state or is a. red we're no,
0: we're very purple. We're crazy purple. Got we, it. We've been holding our breath way too long. <laughs>
1: Got it. So, you know, of course, Iowa was listed in that, the robot that was uh, it listed as the blue robot, right? Uh, and 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 yet it, again, there was just a little, you know, the little expected media peep about it, but there wasn't this. Incredible response of the implication of the Civil war, uh, and so I, you know I know that uh, he was representative King was challenged very recently in the last election. I think that it came somewhat close very I, very I close hopeful. considering
0: considering that district, it was a very, very close election, and he's got this time around he's got three Republican challengers, so it's going to be a very interesting primary next year for him as well.
1: good. Good. I, primaries are incredibly important, and, and I hope that he is primaried out, uh, and uh, and that Iowa is uh, deserving of a uh, of a of a person for whom would not make such odious uh, statements, uh, the, well, and and you guys are deserving of a much 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 <laughs> right, more effective representative. Well,
0: well, thank you for calling uh, into the program, Mark Allen. I, I know you have patience to attend to, and and we need yeah. to have you back on again soon. I want to get an update on the uh, on the BioBridge pipeline, but we got her under a break now. Um, again, you know, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And uh, apologies from the uh, state of Iowa for uh, the latest rant of our, <laughs> our our renowned Congressman Steve King. We hope hopefully he won't do it again, uh,
1: <laughs> but I can't Absolutely. promise that. I, thank you so much for having me on. All here. right, thanks,
0: uh, folks. We've been talking with Mark Allen Derry, physician in New Orleans, and also. Uh, the owner of uh, WHIV Radios in, uh, in New Orleans. We'll be back in a couple minutes here on the Fallon Forum. Marie Philippone, my next guest. Join us if you want to call and be a part of the conversation, 515-528-8122. That's 528-8122. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce,
2: For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sergeant's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust sergeants to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: St. Alphonsus missing both the shoes With some broken teeth and sponsors Bloody stained glass lie Busted in pieces On the ground Fallon Farm. This is Ed Fallon, your host. That's uh, Brother Trucker. Love that tune that's downtown. Sad story, actually, but great music and uh, an important lesson. We'll talk more about that sometime when we can maybe get Andrew, Andrew Fleming on the program here. Okay, so my next guest is Maria Philippone, who has made uh, multiple trips to Gaza and is very up to speed on the situation there. And unfortunately, uh, as we broadcast this show here on Monday morning in Des Moines, Iowa, there Apparently, there has been a renewal of the uh, bombing of Gaza in response to the attack by Hamas. We may get around to talking about that, but first, uh, I want to I want to talk with you a little bit about the um, the the hot water that Representative Ilhan Omar has found herself in because of uh, tweets and comments that were deemed to be inappropriate and uh, and Zion and, and anti-Semitic rather. What's your take on it?
3: Uh, well, first of all. Uh, can you imagine any other representative, senator, or person in the U.S. First of all, uh, criticize any other lobby, say the NRA, say the big ag, say you name it, pharmaceutical, and say that uh, – criticize them by saying it's the Benjamins, baby, it's the money, that's what makes you know people vote against whatever – i i, I uh, said that all the time, right but <laughs> how how does that that those things are said often about other lobbies in the u s and um nobody gets upset or s- accuses that person of being anti whatever yeah. um so yeah it's 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 ridiculous uh that a, a the policies of a any government any state in the world, uh, they're all up for criticism and, and debate. And, um, you know, now, it's not anti-Semitic to, to criticize the policies of our government.
0: Now, Omar did apologize for some of what she said. She right. said she was feeling like she was being educated by both her Jewish and her Muslim and other constituents. Um, but it seems like no matter what she says, <laughs> it still continues to draw a uh, major right. pushback. In fact, at a recent um, uh, conference uh, where she spoke, there were, what, over 100, 100 right. protesters out front?
3: Right. It's, well, they were shouting horrible, hateful things to her. Go die. and yeah. You know, I mean, how, whatever. There's yeah. really
0: – But that's, that's really sad and a little it, scary it that sad. that's where it's at. Uh, and, and it's interesting to me that, um, that you know, uh, people have been concerned about the, um, the status of Islamic women around the world. There, you know, some some cases where, where where um, where I mean, look at look at the Taliban. The horrible mean, Taliban is this horrible all around. But there there are elements of Islam that have been pretty um, repressive of women in particular.
3: Well, that's with every every single religion around the world. There are extreme elements sure, in but, every but, single but, religion. But
0: here we have here we have an Islamic woman who has actually uh, achieved a very significant and high position, and it's almost like, you know. Some of these forces were more comfortable criticizing the treatment of Islamic women as long as they weren't getting too uh, powerful and prominent. (laughs) So here we have two now elected to Congress, and they're the subject of lots of scrutiny, lots of pushback, lots of criticism, and accusations of anti-Semitism.
3: What can I say? Um, It's not, first of all, it's not anti-Semitic to uh, criticize um, the policies of the Israeli government, which are... um, now, a part of written law, um, apartheid um, right. and racist. Um, now, it, you know, a, a year ago it was written into law. So, uh, the Israeli law. Um, what, what was
0: written into law? A it year was ago? saying
3: only Jews can have citizenship in Israel. Um, what nice. I what I think is even more.
0: That's fairly. Um- uh, you know, I guess since sem- Semites include Arabs, that's fairly anti-Semitic, if I can twist it a exact- bit. Sir. No, totally, yeah. exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, um, Semitism it refers to um, a people who come from um, a— any of a series of, of, of Semitic languages, right. if that's their their, right. their um, history, their ancestry, and that includes Arabic, yeah. Hebrew, um, other like Aramaic, other languages. I can't remember off the top of my head. But what I think is is um, quite telling is, um, first of all, the backlash Representative Omar received, um, and of course she was under a tremendous amount of pressure to walk back and apologize. Um, And secondly, um, what was happening at that exact same time in Gaza during the peaceful Great March of Return, um, a girl was peacefully um, demonstrating at the Great March of Return and uh, was killed by Israeli snipers. Right, right, right. And and a woman who was uh, early 20s marching peacefully was shot three times uh, by Israeli snipers during the same time as well. So, and those didn't make headlines at all here.
0: Right. And why so, is that?
3: You tell me. Why?
0: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well.
3: You tell me. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. So, um yeah, it's it's uh even as the um the democratic establishment, I mean the, the, I mean Omar got a lot of criticism from across the political spectrum. Right. But uh, within the Democratic Party, that's what from mostly what, what we mostly describe as the more established Elements of the party, Uh, and um, it it, it looks like we 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 see the base of the Democratic Party really becoming tired of what the government of Israel is doing, and becoming much more empathetic with the situation with the plight that the Palestinians find themselves in. It just seems like we're getting much more much more um, uh, solidity uh, uh, solidarity across the base of the Democratic Party, and that that's kind of putting. I mean I think, I think what Omar Ilhan Omar did said defined that uh, that that uh, that split in the party um it shows I think that the, the the traditional establishment of the Democratic Party the one that has been really very really solidly aligned with with the state of Israel is is now you know realizing that there's a there's a big there's a big rift there so
3: Well yes there's uh I believe our guest is on the phone now um we actually have a Okay, we're going to go
0: to uh, the line, uh, line one there and welcome Akram to the show. Thank you.
3: Akram Asatari. Hello.
0: Okay. For some reason, that's not that connection is not working very well. So uh, we'll give him a shout back. But in the meantime, um, okay, beyond what Ilhan Omar said, uh, again, we've seen, um, we've seen some, uh, uh, some real disturbing development just today. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is here in the U.S. He's supposed to be here for a four-day trip, but now he's returning to Israel.
3: Right, because Hamas uh, fired one of their um, prehistoric homemade rockets into southern Israel. Nobody was hurt.
0: But that, but okay, but um, still, firing any kind of a rocket anywhere is 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 a, well, is a problem.
3: Of course, it is a problem, yeah. and they shouldn't do it, and it's denounced all the time, but um, by Palestinians, but. Um, Under international law, Gaza is still occupied by Israel because Israel controls land, sea, air, etc., everything, movement in and out. And under international law, that still falls under the definition of occupation. And under international law, occupied people have a right to resist their occupiers. When when one compares the military of Hamas— Versus the Israeli uh, military, the Israeli military is the fourth most powerful military in the world with nuclear weapons. Hamas's the capabilities are uh, prehistoric. You know, the the their capabilities are prehistoric, and there's really no comparison between the two.
0: Okay, but none of that justifies lobbing a bomb at anyone.
3: Well, it doesn't. But under international law, they do have the right to resist their occupiers.
0: Okay. All right.
3: (laughs) So, and and when Israel, when um, Hamas fires rockets into Israel, how many people are hurt or killed?
0: Well, it depends where it lands, right?
3: How many civilians have been killed by any action by Hamas? Yeah,
0: again, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. yeah. I I know it, I know I, I know it pales in it pales in in terms of what's been uh, the damage inflicted upon residents of Gaza and the West Bank.
3: Well, it's it's it you can't compare. Let me give you the 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 latest statistics out of Gaza. Um this is from Akram who we couldn't connect with anymore.
0: Well, we're, we're going to take a short so, – give, give us those stats. We're going to take well, a short and to, break, and, and then we'll okay, try to connect Okay, there are just over 2
3: room. million people living in Gaza. In 2018, 1 million people of those depended on foreign aid just to eat. Uh, 53% are in the poverty rate, 52% unemployment among the general population. That skyrockets up to 69% among youth ages 20 to 29 years old. Mm. 69% of Gazans are food insecure. And this is all because of the Israeli-imposed impo- siege.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty horrible. Yeah. Hey, we've got to take a short break, folks. Uh, We're happy to broadcast this program on the station of Lorraine, 1260 AM in Des Moines, and then we'll be back in a couple minutes and continue this conversation and hopefully figure out our technical issue there and get Akram on the phone. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon, your host here as we uh, continue our conversation with Maria Philippone uh, regarding the uh, situation in uh, Gaza and Israel right now. And uh, particularly disturbing that uh, we've just learned that uh, Gaza is again under attack in response to the Hamas uh, Missile that was launched, and we rocket, have rocket,
3: lo- not missile.
0: Rocket, That's missile.
3: Correct, because there's a big difference between a rocket and a missile.
0: And I'm afraid I don't know those differences, but I'll take your word
3: for it. Right. I, well, when I was in Gaza in October of last year, Israel dropped 110 missiles on us total while I was there. One while you night, were there, one night they dropped 90 on us, and it was it's terrifying.
0: And what is a rocket? Uh,
3: much less precise, much less of an impact, much, okay. just much less.
0: Okay. Uh, our ammunition 101 here. Yeah. So uh, let's go to our phone. I want to welcome uh, Akram Al Satari to the program. He is uh, calling us from Gaza. Uh, Akram, welcome to the program. Uh, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you, and I hope you can hear
4: me as well. It's I can hear Good
0: morning
4: hear you. to you and to all listeners. And allow me to thank you while the uh, rockets and missiles are falling into different places of Gaza. In the meantime, as I'm talking to you, there are around 10 aerial attacks covering the geographical area of Gaza Strip in the Gaza north, south, middle, and uh, also in the east and in the west. And uh, people are in a great panic because of the the fact that Israeli occupation is, is showering them with bombs that are falling from the sky. That are sophisticated, but they don't function as sophisticated as
0: they are supposed to. So you're saying that right now, as we speak, uh, Israel is launching missiles into all parts of Gaza.
4: Yes, more than ten aerial attacks so far.
0: How many?
3: More than ten aerial. More attacks. than ten aerial, aerial.
4: attacks. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. So
0: far. Do you have any idea what kind of casualties have uh, occurred?
4: Well, I'm not sure yet. The news are are just coming. In the last few seconds, there were around three fresh aerial attacks. And I don't have exact numbers about people injured or or, or what kind of damage that has been caused.
0: And this is in response to the single um, weapon that was launched by Hamas to... uh,
4: That is what, yes, that is what has been stated by the uh, the, uh, Israeli Prime Minister who is now visiting the... uh, United States and who witnessed the, uh, the statement that was made by President Trump that he recognizes the Golan Heights as part and integral part of the land of Israel.
0: Is that a new development?
3: Yes, that is a Yes, it, this started last week.
0: Okay, I I missed this, that. So he's saying that the, the Golan Heights, which again is which
3: is what uh, Israel seized in the Six Day War, right,
0: which used to be part of Syria,
3: exactly is now which is the
4: part of Syria and is seen as an unoccupied territory according to the international law. It has just been recognized by Mr. Trump as an Israeli territory.
0: So what 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 gave Trump the authority to no pun intended Trump international law and uh, and allow what allows him to declare the Golan Heights part of Syria part of Israel if, if it if,
4: Mr. Trump is, yeah go ahead I think uh, Mr. Trump knows exactly the answer I wish I knew the answer that is giving the right to someone to take over some other one's land and then endorsing that occupation and giving legitimacy to that occupation which would allow conflicts in the region which would allow also some large-scale conflicts between the uh, different already warring parties in the region.
0: Okay, so that also is likely to in- increase conflict, is it not?
4: Yes, that is going to increase conflict because Netanyahu is talking about the fact that they have already, that the American administration have already recognized the Golan Heights as part of uh, the land of Israel. They are also preparing a draft resolution according to that they would... Recognize the West Bank as a land of Israel. The West Bank was also occupied in June 4 in 1960, 19, 1967, and it, the American administration is apparently planning to recognize it also as part of mm. the land of
0: Israel. Well, let, let's uh, let's go back to what's happening in Gaza right now. Again, um, this is in response to the missile that Hamas uh, rocket missile that that Hamas. Uh, um f- uh, fired at uh, a suburb of Tel Aviv yesterday. Uh, I I am i guess what I'm hoping to hear is that uh that 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 was not something that the people of Gaza supported that is this is a decision that somebody within government made apparently but that uh I mean I may, I may, maybe I'm wrong maybe 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 people think that was a good idea, but uh, it seems I to think, me.
3: Akram, can you also address, just so people here in the U.S. understand the difference between a rocket, a Hamas rocket and an Israeli missile? And then answer Ed's well, question. I
4: think, well, well, uh, well I doubt it, you should also make a distinction between the rocket that is sent from Gaza that is a primitive rocket. And we should also understand that there are some civil statements made even by Hamas as an organization, saying that they are not responsible for the launch of that rocket, and they will look into the matter and find whoever was responsible about that, and they'll arrest them. That was one of the statements that was made by, um, okay. uh, by Hamas about this this very specific so, incident so, and two other incidents that took place before.
0: So make sure I understand that correctly, Akram. So the the, the official government, the Hamas government in Gaza, has itself criticized the uh, launch of that rocket and is trying to figure out yes. who actually did it. And, yes. and, and they
4: and, committed themselves to arrest
0: those who did that. Okay, and they, they, they committed themselves to arresting whoever is responsible for launching that, that missile rocket, rather, and uh, and that happened, that's the same case of the, the previous two incidences as well. So somebody within exactly. Hamas, somebody within within Gaza, rather, has access to these rockets and is launching them uh, without approval of the elected government of Gaza correct
4: yes correct very correct yes.
0: okay so if that's and if that, that's
4: what, that, that, you know what yes, correct. if
0: that's, correct. that's if that's the case then it would seem highly irresponsible of the israeli government to attack a country that 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 is that is not able to control some rogue uh, missile launch <laughs> uh, you know uh, the point is but, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't understand. I, I guess I don't. I, yeah, I don't understand Israel. Israel's response to that.
4: Yeah, the, the, the Israeli policies towards Gaza help to grow the despair among the people of Gaza to the extent that some people are now trying to launch rockets. Some people are throwing to launch grenades. People are doing things out of despair because of what they have been through. Uh, Just Maria told you some very simple statistics about this situation in Gaza. Very simple but very shocking. You have around 69% of the youth now uh, unemployed, no good horizon for any job opportunities. They cannot travel outside of Gaza. They are living in a place where they cannot have even good and fit drinking water they are not in a place where they can have income or livelihood and they are living in a place that they are alive but not living mm, yeah. and this is the case i for palestinian i am 42 years old i have three children i am myself a refugee that came my family came somewhere in palestine occupied 48 and i lived as a refugee in a dilapidated home in the khalioun refugee camp I don't have much opportunities, didn't have much opportunities, and hundreds of thousands of youth are just like me. And now there is a growing despair among the Palestinian youth because they are not living the way a human being should live. When we are describing this issue, this plight from a humanitarian perspective, I should not tell you there are two million Palestinians. I should tell you there are, to make things easier to relate and understand, There are two million humans who are being collectively punished Hmm. under the pretext of that Hamas is ruling the Gaza Hmm. Strip. There are two million people who are not having decent access to anything Hmm. whatsoever that is related to us because they say Hamas is launching one rocket. Now in Gaza, in the meantime, as I talk to you, my home is shaking, my children are terrified, because the government of Israel says that Hamas launched a rocket, and in response to that now, the entire 2 million population of Gaza are panicking because of the severe aerial attacks targeting different places in Gaza.
0: Right, because it would seem to me that um, that uh, Palestinians, Gazans, the, the Hamas government itself has nothing to gain by lobbying a primitive rocket at uh, at any any point in Israel, with the probability that it's not going to cause any damage, but going to evoke um, a very violent uh, response that Israel will justify because of that launch, even though the response is is uh, in, insanely out of proportion to the you know a, a, attempted um, attack. Yeah. Uh, and again, the most important thing there is for, to me is that. The the attack was not sanctioned by the Hamas government, and I'm I'm, I'm taking I'm you know that's I I, I I there may be conflicting reports on that, but I'm going to take you at your word for that. That that seems that seems very. I mean, again, why would Hamas do that? Why would they do that if they were any kind of legitimate government at all? It makes no sense. So I I just um, at what point it seems like the global community is turning against Israel's approach to colonization of Gaza. The West Bank, and now, you know, Golan Heights as well. Um, it seems that the rest of the world, for the most part, is having trouble with that. But within the U.S., uh, especially, especially within the Trump administration, they're still supportive. And, uh, and you know, within 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 the U.S. as a whole, it seems like uh, there is an erosion of confidence in Isra- Israel as a state that is operating. Um, uh, in, in a way that is respectable and expected. Um, maybe I'm wrong. What, what do you think, Maria? Is, is uh, are, we, are we seeing the beginning of a shift in terms of...
3: We're seeing a huge shift, and I believe I sent you, <clears throat> excuse me, a documentary which uh, <clears throat> the Israeli lobby in the U.S. here is trying to not... They're trying to bury it, not have it be seen. Um, <clears throat> it was uh, an undercover... An, a documentary of an undercover young, young Jewish man who got a, an internship with um apac and stuff and and the global support for bds movement boycott divestment and sanctions movement um is so strong and so it, it's a it's a tidal wave that nobody can stop um that that i believe <clears throat> one of the um lo- lobbyists in in the ending of the documentary said um the 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 platform that APEC used to sit on is rotting and not as strong. And it's just a matter of basically a matter of time until it gives way. Um, just because we've only had this one narrative, this one Zionist perspective in this country for um, 70 years. Um, people don't understand this country, but that's changing. Uh, clearly not fast enough for the people of um i mean we have have an incredible humanitarian crisis but we do it's it's in it's incredible i'm i'm blessed to know the people of gaza they're people just like you and me you've been
0: there four times four
3: times yes Mm. i took my 10 year old daughter almost two years ago so um i i really my throat is sore and i i think i should shut up and just let gaza talk and i think that's akram right now so go ahead akram
4: well, as I told you, they have the Israeli occupation uh, air forces have just targeted a place or a building for a car insurance company in Gaza, and they continue the aerial bombardment. To make, as I told you before, to make things easier, we understand that Israel has been using the unconditional support provided by the U.S. administration to continue its settlement activities and to continue the occupation. You might, you were just arguing now, you just thinking now out loud, saying that you find it very odd that Hamas might be sending primitive rockets and then inciting a harsher and much larger scale response from the Israeli occupation. But let me tell you something. You, usually, injustice perpetuates despair. Injustice that the Palestinians have been living is making them now think if even some ways that might be people as suicidal. Uh, Maria spoke fully about about the family rightly said that the families that were just going to that great mass of retain they' are knowing that they might be shot they they are fully aware that the Israeli occupation might kill them, but then they went there, and I was working with the team that was doing some documentary about those Great March of the protests, and was speaking to people who entered, including women who lost their children. I saw a family, a mother, who lost her 14 years old child, whose name is Rusal, a very sweet, and the photo looked very sweet and lovely girl. And that very sweet and lovely girl was leaving her home to go to the protest because, and her family didn't have anything to eat, and she knew that the occupation was denying them that opportunity to make living and to support themselves. And we, I saw around 30, 40 people who like that, who denied anything and who cannot live and who didn't have any livelihood of living, and who are thinking that they are, as I told you, alive but not living. Occupation is that existed because the world felt guilty after the Holocaust. And why would they now start another Holocaust against the people of Gaza? If they were killed by by Hitler and we all refuse the fact that any killing of any human being all over the world is rejected, how come they are treating us? The way Hitler treated them, how come they are depriving us from the decent life? Like they're depriving the from the decent life. I saw Jewish people, Jewish people came to Gaza, and they are my friends, and they came to our. Maria knows better. They came to our places. We love them. They are they are our brothers and sisters in humanity. We make no distinction between people, and that... we are hoping that we would be treated as people and as humans. human.
3: That's true, and I just need to back that up. Every time I've gone on this. Uh... Uh, trip to gaza with this group of um, medical professionals at least one of them is jewish and one woman wore her uh, star of david earrings almost every day everybody knew she was jewish she was welcomed just as warmly Mm -hmm. in the entire west bank and entire of gaza just as warmly as i was it's it's not true that saying you'll if you're jewish you'll be killed in the streets of gaza i've seen I've seen it; that it's not true, not at all.
0: Well, Akram, uh, we have to wrap up the program here. Thank you um, so much for joining us, uh, folks. We've been talking with Akram Al Sattari. Uh, he's a call, he's on the phone with us from Gaza, where uh, people, as we speak, are under attack. Uh, this is an ongoing situation that is uh, it's unacceptable, I, and, and I really hope we're seeing the tide turning on this. Um, Maria Filippone has been our guest on the program here.
3: Thank you, Akram.
0: Yeah, thank you, Akram. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. And again, let's uh, let's hope for the best. Of this uh, very difficult time, and also let's hope the tide continues to change. I want to take a quick second to uh, thank some of our other local non uh, local business sponsors, uh, Community CPA. It's uh, tax time, folks. Uh, give side Community CPA a shout with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant. Uh, Hawk Restaurant is located at uh, at East Fifth and Walnut. And all the food they serve, I'll say 90% of the food they serve, comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Uh, thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located at 6th and College in Des Moines. And thanks to Diversity Insurance, located at 1541. Uh, no appointment needed, folks. Just stop in at Diversity Insurance. They're located, again, at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Again, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. More for our community-owned stations next. Thanks to Lorraine at 1260 AM on 96.5 FM. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Back to the Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon, your host here. So, as you probably know, wherever you are in the world, or in the in the US for sure, we are experiencing quite uh, a deluge here in the Midwest. Uh, the um, and I, I've been I've been uplifted to see that hearts and minds all over the world are you know going out to the folks who've been affected by the flood here, which. Um, this is not like a short-term event. Uh, we're going to see the impacts of the flood continue for a long, long time. Uh, it just um, – even – I, I mean, I'm fairly familiar with farming, but I did not know that, um, that if a grain bin – again, these are huge bins filled with lots of corn or soybeans or something. If it, if it gets – if it's underwater, not, not the whole thing, but even if the water seeps in through the bottom – I didn't think of this. This makes sense though. The grain expands and explodes the bin. Uh, that's a colossal waste of, of, of grain, but also um, you know, a, a pretty expensive destruction of a piece of farm equipment, the uh, the bin. Some of these uh, fields are not going to be able to be planted at all this year. and uh, We're talking about a really, really big area. And again, some of the towns like Hamburg um, devastated, destroyed. Uh, you know, so... I was encouraged that, um, that uh, U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, when we heard her speak in Des Moines, her first comment was about the, the flooding in southwest Iowa and in Nebraska in particular. And um, she made the climate connection. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. You would think that would be obvious because it, it is, this is what happens in the new climate era when you have more water. More heat, uh, m- Well start with the more, uh, with more heat, you've got, you've got more power, more more moisture, uh, stronger storms, um, uh, a crazy confluence of too much snow, deeper frost because of the polar vortex and suddenly this bomb cyclone that, um, that floods uh, that, that, that melts it all and floods everything. There's nowhere for the water to run. It, it, the water can't run off because the soil is frozen. So yeah, you've got this. Gillibrand gets that to her credit again. Not, um, not everyone does. Our governor certainly doesn't. Um, the media, most of the media don't get it. I was pleased to see CBS uh, talking about the connection. So um, what I am hearing is that people in, uh, in western Iowa are saying, oh, yeah, maybe there's something going on here with the climate. So that much is happening. The fact that Gillibrand um, made the connection is encouraging she did say at the beginning of her speech that she would then talk about climate later in her speech. She didn't. Uh, that was disappointing. Fortunately, uh, one of the um, ten questions that was taken by lottery after her speech was, uh, was, was, was a climate question asked by Matthew Pierce. And uh, actually, you can find that whole exchange on the Bold Iowa website under Climate Bird Dogs. And, um, her response was good, but it left me scratching my head a bit because, okay, you said it's a, you said it's the, you said it's your top concern, that it's a major crisis. It's an existential threat. You said you were going to talk about it more and yet you didn't until the question was asked. So I got to ask her that question, uh, after the whole, after the event wrapped down or wrapped up, I guess I should say. And, um, she seemed to indicate that she's going to start talking about it more. So I hope that's true because the bottom line is there's, so, there's only so much oxygen in the political room. And if candidates are going to talk about various and sundry and not focus on climate, well, the press isn't going to cover climate. So I, I'm hoping that she's serious about that. So Bold Iowa's climate bird dogs have been all over the state. I mean, literally every, I love this, corner of the state. Uh, <laughs> it's a joke because we, we have we have four corners, sure, but there's a lot more in between. But we've had bird dogging going on in Charles City, Decorah, Wacon, um, Davenport, Council Bluffs, um, uh, Atlantic. I mean, all over the state. Everywhere, candidates are being pushed to take a strong stand on climate. And not just to say that it's a priority, but to say that it's our top concern because of the existential threat that's posed. So, again, I'm encouraged by this. And um, as sad and tragic as the flood that just hit the upper Midwest is, you know, that, that may help propel the conversation forward. It may be easier now for people to talk about uh, climate change. Uh, one of uh, one of the other uh, bird doggers, uh, Mary Tarnoff, she also caught some video of uh, Gillibrand's response to a question on climate change at an event in Ottumwa. And uh, Mary pointed out that she had been at the state capitol earlier that week and um, meeting with legislators. Um, I wasn't quite sure what she was there to talk with them about, but the flood came up. And um, the Republican lawmaker who represents the southwest part of the state where most of the flood damage occurred or the worst flood damage occurred, he, um, uh, Mary writes that he seemed more interested in talking about climate change now that it's affecting his constituents directly. So that's, um, that's encouraging. Again, it's unfortunate that it takes something like that in your own backyard to make you wake up and start talking about the problem, but it's happening. So, uh, I hope this continues to build momentum. Now, uh, I do want to point out um, why, one reason why this is really important. I want to talk about Bernie Sanders. And I want to reflect for a moment about an incident four years ago. Actually, it was November of 2014 that uh, myself and my frequent co-host, Charles Goldman, we talked to Bernie Sanders. Uh, it, was, um, it was before the Bernie craze. It was when you could just walk up to the guy and say hello to him. Uh <laughs> and we asked him about the Dakota Access Pipeline, because he'd been a strong opponent of the Keystone Pipeline, and yet he hadn't made he'd made no mention of the Dakota Access Pipeline. We asked him about that, and he said, I haven't decided. And we were shocked. We were really kind of blown away by that because that should be an easy one. <laughs> I mean, if you're against Keystone, if you understand climate change, you should be against the, any pipeline, for that matter. So it was really kind of a surprise, and um, and it, it was it was it was dis- it was disturbing that he didn't make that connection. But over time, as people continued to talk with him about the pipeline and climate change during a very intense campaign here, he not only came out against the Dakota Access Pipeline, but he began to run ads, radio ads. Um, print ads stating his opposition to the pipeline. And uh, I think that message got out. And, I mean, one 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 thing that didn't—Hillary I mean, Clinton never came out against it. She never came out against the pipeline or against the abuse of eminent domain to build it. She didn't come out against it in the primary caucus season, nor in the general election, which surprised me because— Trump is really bad on eminent domain. I thought that would have been a, a no brainer for her to make a distinction, but it didn't happen. But with Sanders, he shifted big time. He went from undecided to being very, very opposed to the Dakota Access Pipeline. And also, uh, when he was first pushed to begin to describe climate as a crisis that, re- that involved, that necessitated a full scale uh, mobilization of our economy and our government and all systems to fight it. He refused to do that. Eventually, though, he did. Eventually, he began to talk about it in, urgent, in, in, in an urgent way. And that was one reason, a big part of why the, eventually the uh, language you saw in the, the Democratic platform, the national Democratic platform, you know, calls for a, an all-out attack on climate change. You know, that happened in part because of – in large part, I would say, because of Sanders – and Sanders moving on that issue happened in large part because of voters and caucus goers pushing him to do so. So, fast forward to the present moment. Sanders is no longer an outsider. He's no longer a fringe candidate. He is probably the inside candidate. He's probably the guy to beat in this in this election. And uh, he knows that. And he's got a bunch of money already. And he's got a bunch of um, really high-quality people working on his campaign. He's also doing something that I find rather disturbing. He is, he's a, his, his campaign is not allowing anybody to have any signs at his events. And so um, knowing that, <laughs> I, I was not at the Sanders event in Des Moines, but there were a bunch of bold Iowa people there, and they brought a bunch of signs they somehow got him in. <laughs> uh, and when Sanders started talking about climate change about halfway into his speech, out came the signs. And uh, it was a very powerful moment because Sanders noticed them. You can, when, you, when you watch the video of him giving his speech, you can see that he goes off script. He stops reading from his script, which, uh, which is under his left hand. If you, if you watch all three speeches in Council Bluffs, Iowa City, Des Moines, you kind of see the pattern. And he goes off script and he starts talking about the tobacco lobby and how Big Tobacco lied to the American people about its product. And he compares that to the fossil fuel lobby and how they are continuing to lie to the American people about the dangers of fossil fuels. And so in the end, Sanders talks for nearly twice as long in Des Moines as he does in Council Bluffs and in Iowa City about climate. And uh, and also significantly, the official videographer, again, I'm not quite sure who that is, but there's there's a Sanders video squad who are live-streaming the speech with, you know, they frequently, of course, looking at Sanders, but then looking at the crowd as well. And when the climate signs go up, and the signs say, climate is a crisis, and be bold on climate, when those signs go up, the cameras zoom in on two different occasions. I think this is pretty significant. Again... I'm concerned that Sanders wants to so control the debate as to not allow any signs and also not take any questions. So this was the way around that, was to have a moment where uh, climate could be emphasized while he was talking about it with signs that actually support his message. Anyway, I, you know, I don't know where this goes, folks, but I think the fact that we have this um, growing conversation about climate during the presidential campaign, hopefully happening also in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, I think that's encouraging. We'll find out more as the whole campaign unfolds. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.